That is our heart's desire, that you would experience God's presence when you're here with us this morning. Um, and this morning, as we open up his word and look in it, I hope that continues to be the case. Um, but I want to start out um, with an interesting piece of news. Earlier this month, a famous brand announced it was removing the name from its logo, where it has resided for more than 50 years. The company said 80% of the people recognize the logo, even when the name isn't present. What is it? Right. There are icons, images, and logos that when we look at them, we immediately recognize them. And they, they speak something to us about who that company is or what that thing is. So let's try a few more. Starbucks used to have the name inside it. They recently took it off. Okay. How about this one? All right. It's a new logo. Okay. It's a good one. We'll, we'll camp on that one for a second. So throughout history, logos or symbols have been an important part of our culture. They visually represent something or someone and communicate the core values, principles, ideals for which we call symbolic benefits. They play a critical role in serving as a point of connection for us. When we look at it, it makes us think about something and what it represents. They are visual graphics in these logos, for example, that make us think about something even before we even read what it's about. Today we're going to look at some symbols that have very profound meaning in our lives. So let's put it up. These are two symbols that we're going to look at today. And when you look at them, the same way you look at MasterCard or Starbucks, really God's design was for us when we look at these is to think of something. Or think of many things, actually. When we see a cross, okay, it reminds us that Jesus died on it for us. It reminds us how him rising from the dead, particularly if it's an empty cross, to the dead, was showing his power over sin and death. And today we continue in our sermon in Acts chapter 2, looking through the things that the church did when it was first born. Last week, Pastor, actually Pastor Brian at the beginning started out our series a few weeks back, helping us understand what it means to be devoted and introduce these patterns that we're looking at week over week. He challenged us to get into kingdom rhythm. Okay, you guys, do you guys remember we did the... Ooh, ah, remember it? We got, we got our rhythms going. Okay, the next week, Chick unpacked for us the idea of the apostles' teaching and the importance of that to design, to be our guide, right? To be a guide for our lives and a guide for this church. We were challenged to get in the pattern of discovering God's word and see what it has to teach us day in and day out, right? So it's almost like your guide, if you're going to make your hands, so before we were golf clapping and you're going to look at the, your glasses that help you see things better. Um, particularly those of us who are getting older, we even needed to read things, right? Then last week, Pastor Brian delved into the idea of fellowship as a spiritual bond we have with each other because of the faith that we share. We're reminded that we're not meant to go through life alone, how God made us for a relationship with himself and with each other. Now, we were challenged to become part of a spiritual family, and so some of you may have kind of grown up in more of a church culture, but if you remember the whole thing, right, if you put your hands together like this, right, this is the what? church, and this is the steeple, and we open up, and you see what? People. And that's what we are, right? So we are God's people. Now today, really what we want to do is I want to be sharing about what it means to break bread together, and the importance of eating together, and remembering what Jesus has done for us. I'm going to be challenge us to get in a new pattern, sharing meals together, and talking about Jesus when we do it. So we want to think about, if we we're going to do anything, it'd be, you know, it's almost thinking about a cross. We're going to put our hands here. We're going to try to do something to be a cross. And that's what I want us to remember today. 
So if you have your Bible, your Bible apps, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. That's where we've been camped for the past couple weeks. We're going to start again and read this section of verses that we've been reading week over week. Starting in verse 42, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and where we're at this week, and to the breaking of bread and a prayer, which is coming up next week. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, here it goes again, they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily of those who were being saved. Now, the terms that we see in these verses, when we talk about the idea of baking bread, um, really kind of, there's a lot of, there's some debate of whether it's just communion, whether it's just meals together. Um, So as I've studied this, I'm kind of under the impression of both. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is more likely to be the communion, and Acts 2, 46 is likely to be the meals together. So in our message here today, we're actually going to talk about both. We're going to talk about meals together, and we're going to talk about communion. But I want to just unpack this idea of breaking bread, and I want you to think back in time into the life of Jesus, okay? When we talk about this cross that we remember at communion, um, after he rose from the dead, there was something that he did with some people that helped them understand who he was and helped them, their eyes were open. I want to read this story for you. We find the story in Luke chapter 24, starting verse 30. So when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning with us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how, they recognized, how Jesus was recognized by them when? when he broke the bread. So that's that same expression that we see here in Acts 2. That same phrase is used here in Luke 24, that concept of breaking bread. So it's the idea of both remembering who he was and having a meal together. Now what's neat is there's one other story where this expression comes out. There's, there's many places, but another one that I want to bring our attention to. And it's a little uncommon one. In fact, we were kind of, we have a huddle before church where we pray for our time together. And we actually used this a, a little bit in a, in a joke among ourselves, but didn't really name the person. So if you turn, this is actually in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. There it is again. Paul spoke to the people because he was intending to leave the next day. He kept on talking till midnight. There's no foreshadowing there, guys, okay? <laughs> there were many lamps in the upstairs where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on, okay? When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then they went upstairs again, and what did they do? They broke bread and ate. (laughs) So they broke bread to start. Guy falls asleep and dies. Paul brings him back to life supernaturally, and they break bread again. The same concept of breaking bread. So breaking bread... Um, really where I'm going to go with this, but these are the two phrases that just even in the book of Acts and just before the end of Jesus' life, this was a concept that was going to have, that they were very familiar with. So when they say, let's go break bread together, it really meant let's, let's connect, let's have a meal together, let's experience life deeply together. And these, but actually, I'm even going to go further, okay? 
I, I am so convinced, and Pastor Brian encouraged us last week, why do we have fellowship? Why do we have meals together? Okay, I'm going to actually start. This is going to be a whirlwind tour, so stay with me. It's very quick, okay? A three-hour tour, we could say. From Genesis to Revelation, I'm going to explain to you that God has designed us to have meals together and to think of him when we do it. So we're actually going to go back to Genesis, okay? Genesis chapter 1, okay? Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit and seed in it, they will be yours for food. Okay, so God made food, and food is meant to be eaten together. And so Adam and Eve, God designed them to experience meals together. You move forward in time to Exodus chapter 24, and this is a really neat chapter, neat chapter with a fun little story here. It says, Moses and Aaron, Nabob and Abu, and 70 other elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. They experienced God face to face. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israel. They saw God, and what did they do with him? They had a meal. They experienced a meal with God. That's where intimacy with God is found. Not only talking with him, reading his word, but here, in this case, God wanted to have a meal with them. The Old Testament prophets are often compared the life of the heavens, the new heavens and the earth, with this picture of this banquet table having a meal with God. And we see this in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare what? A feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meals and the finest one. God designed us not only to have meals together, but the idea of having a meal with him would be what we call the best. Five-star Yelp rating, five-star TripAdvisor, whatever it is, whatever the ratings are. So that's what it's like to experience these meals. So when we talk, even move forward to the New Testament, fast forward, we regularly find Jesus having meals with many people. He was referred to, and the term they often use is reclining at the table. Reclining at the table really means sitting down and having a meal with somebody during his earthly ministry where he engaged with people. And what did he do? He built relationships with them while he was there. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors were there eating with them. Luke 7, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So it's not just eating with believers, eating with non-believers, it's eating with everybody. This concept of having a meal together is really about having relationships. We will move on to Luke 11. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. Again, ate with him. And then lastly, in Luke 14, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, this is just a tiny little bit. I encourage you, if you're looking for something to spend time in God's word with this week, just start with Jesus and see how often he ate with people and what his purpose was and how he engaged with people. If you really want to do something for the course of February, you know, you can start at the beginning of Genesis and work through the end and see all the different times that God used this concept of a meal and throughout these meals to remember him. So I'm going to finish out. I mentioned we had Acts chapter 2. I want to go to Revelation chapter 19 the end. And this is actually what we typically refer to as the Feast of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 10. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Then the angel said to me, ready to, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Then he added, These are the true words of the Lord. So we've seen the eating together, 
is one of the oldest and most consistent ideas that God has had for us to connect with each other. From the very first meal Adam and Eve had together in the garden, in different parts of the Old Testament, New Testament, to the very end, with Jesus having meals, and even this wedding banquet feast that we get to look forward to as believers, we can be convinced that sharing meals is really God's idea. We didn't come up with it. So most of us, I think, acknowledge that, right? Eating meals together is important. We see how sharing a meal nourishes our need to know someone and also our need to be known by others. So how are we supposed to have these meals together? So we agree we have it. We see God's plan. There's two ways I want us to think about today. One is to do it with regularity, and the other one is to do it with remembering. As for regularity, I don't want this to be something where you walk out of church and say, oh my goodness, they gilded me into having dinner with my family. That's what happened. Was, Honey, how was church? Well, they gilded me in and I haven't dinner with you. We haven't had dinner in forever. That's not the goal here. When you think something is important in life, you don't want to miss it. You make it, you, 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 you rearrange your schedule around it, okay? So I want this to be something where we realize that we're missing out of what's going on. So why is it that some of us lack the desire and discipline to really make it a pattern of the way that we live in terms of having meals with each other? So I can't speak for yourself, but I figured I'd just open up my heart a little bit and tell you why sometimes I don't make this important in my own life. Number one reason, survey says, too busy. Too busy. I'm busy doing what? More important things than having a meal. I'm too busy to eat. I'm too busy to take the time. Even if I do sit down, I'm up you know, within five to seven minutes and we're done. The meals are about efficiency, right? We gotta get started, we gotta get done, we gotta move on to something else that's important. The other reason is I'm too preoccupied with something else. I'm busy with something, and so, fine, we'll, we'll do this, but I need to move on, and this is really kind of an interruption. Meals are an interruption rather than an engagement. And then the last one is, you know, and Brian mentioned this in terms of there's different types, more introverted and extroverted people. Meals are with other people. Like, that's not good for me time, okay? I need me time somewhere in life, right? So, like, if I have to go sit down and talk to somebody, the life gets sucked out of me, right? So that's why sometimes we avoid meals if we're a little more on the introverted side. So one of my favorite authors is a guy named Henry Nguyen, and he wrote many books. One of them is called Life of the Beloved. And he talks about meals, and I want to read this to you. It's a little long, but just bear with it. It's, it's good. Isn't a meal together the most beautiful expression of our desire to be given to each other in our brokenness? The table, the food, the drinks, the words, the stories. Are they not the most intimate ways in which we do not only express the desire to give our lives to each other, but also the way that we do it in actuality. When we eat together, we're vulnerable to each other. Around the table, we can't wear weapons of any sort. Eating is this, from the same bread and drinking from the same cup calls us to live how? In unity and peace with one another. Don't you find it hard to sit down with somebody you're not getting along with? You don't really want to sit down with and eat with them. You just want to get it over with or avoid it. A really peaceful and enjoyable meal together belongs among the greatest moments of life. So I'll at least give you a little window into my own life. So um, I work a job that's very demanding. Uh, it actually is more Pacific-based time, uh, California-based time. I work for a California company. And so as a result of that, you know, 5 to 7 o'clock Eastern time happens to be 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific, for those of you who are time zone challenged. Um, so for me to be able to sit down and have dinner with my family is a very challenging thing professionally. So what I've done is, and I do this, is actually I put something on my calendar. I won't talk about the duration of that time. That varies by family. But it's just called FD, okay? 
Any idea what FD stands for? Family dinner, okay? And so, and even then, I, I think I'm sometimes maybe ashamed to actually put the full words out there, but it's FD, people know me kind of well, okay, and it, I purple out the time. So people know that I'm not available to meet with them, and I do that a certain number of days a week. Um, so I just want to encourage you, are there, are there things in terms of this thing that you think you're missing out on? And then what are the things that you're, the impediments that are in your heart towards doing this? And then what are the things that you're willing to do to make it a discipline in your lives? And we know, even when we're there at the meal sometimes, right, we're not always there, right? In our digitally connected world, we share a tremendous amount of information through texts, emails, tweets. However, a significant amount of that communication is nonverbal. Precious little intimate communication actually occurs digitally. In fact, I would say, if you look at these emojis, we're more comfortable picking an emoji than we are talking with somebody at a dinner table. These are our most popular emojis, according to Apple, in 2017, okay? So the number one here is face with tears of joy, <laughs> together with face with hearts, rolling eyes, skulls, many others. Um, so how many of you, oh, we won't even raise hands, okay? Emojis, 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 okay? We are emoji culture, okay? In fact, go to the next slide. This is what an emoji-free meal looks like. Okay, that's actually a smiling face over there. That's actually, you know, maybe crying, you know, with tears. This is what the real faces look like, not the emojis, in case you're wondering. Okay, this is what sharing a meal together, putting face-to-face -face communication looks like. Many um, of you experience that, maybe of you aren't as sure. There's another book, and this is a little more specifically about this, by a guy named Michael Polian. It says, In Defense of Food, an Eater's Manifesto. And he says, the shared meal elevates eating from a mechanical process of fueling the body to a ritual of family and community, from mere animal biology to an act of culture. But I'm sure like you, we've witnessed many scenes like the couple I'm going to put up here. Here's the first one. Okay, this is actually with grandparents. Okay, just so we're, because this is not a generational challenge. Okay, next one. Okay, this is different forms of devices, okay? We have a phone, we have the TV, and of course, teenagers on their phones. And then the last one, okay, it even gets down, many of my son is in first grade, and there are more first graders with devices than without this year, okay? So why is it that even when we do have these meals together, like, so they're having a meal together, right? Check the box, FD, right? So what is happening there? What happens is, is that the things on our phones at least for me, why is it that I, I have trouble connecting even when I'm there? I feel I'm more interesting and entertaining than the people with whom I'm with. Right? At least that's the message I send them. Right? That's what I do. I let them know that clearly something is very interesting on my phone right now. Okay? So what I want to encourage you to do is not only set aside to connect in a meal, but to buy a basket. Okay? Doesn't have to be watermelon, whatever, whatever you'd like. Okay? And I'd like to put the basket not even on the table, but nearby to the table, and survey says, device-free meals, okay? Please consider taking the time to view as a family, you know, that device-free meals are worth it. There's actually a bunch of videos I, I, I actually thought about showing, but once I started watching them all, I was like, you'll lose all the parts of the message, they're just so good. Um, but there are, are videos out there called device-free dinner, that you can look up on YouTube. Will Ferrell does some. My favorite is actually by an NFL player named Marshawn Lynch. I encourage you, your homework from today, please go watch some of those videos, okay? You'll get one of those emojis going and you'll emoji each other back and forth about the crying out loud. 
So obviously what we talked about here is the idea of breaking bread together is to just remove those things that doesn't bring us together. That's really where we want to start. So be together and take out of those things when we are together that make it hard for us to connect. This basket is a dinner table where we can start. So what else can we do? What are those things that we can do to be regular and also to remember? So I want to say that not only has God designed us to eat together, but he designed us to eat together at a regular place, at a regular time, to remember him. To remember him. So what does it look like to remember God in a meal? So I would say that, you know, many of us come together for meals, whether that's with our family, whether that's with a sibling, whether that's with some friends, and particularly if it's with your family or with some Christian friends, um, what's one of the things we do before we eat? We pray. Many of us pray. Some of us don't, right? But that's okay. I'm not saying we should or should. There's nothing in the scriptures to say they, they, you notice it, breaking bread and prayer. So I'm not quite sure the sequence. It's, it's not by design, but they, in our culture, they're woven together. So my question is, is that how do we incorporate remembering God, remembering Jesus, and we did, into our prayers, into our, basically into our meals? In our house, what typically happens is, is that the food goes out and, uh, of course, a few of us, maybe me, have to sample it to make sure it's safe for the rest of the family. And what typically happens is, like, Dad, we didn't pray yet, right? So, of course, that impede, you know, basically implores me to pray how? Quickly, right? we got to get eating, right? Food is meant to be eaten how? Hot, right? Many of you are from that culture, okay? <laughs> okay? Not, my parents are here. We, we, we were pretty flexible on that. Um, but anyway, what I want to say is, is that what that does is, is it really cuts down on the pause time. It's really not reflective. Now, it doesn't mean you can't pray after you start eating, okay, or pray as you're eating, but the whole goal is how do we get these mealtimes together, not just to be about connecting with each other, but to remember the connection of the basis of our connection. We need to remember Jesus. So I want to encourage you to say some opening remarks to your prayers going forward. Okay, start your prayers, not just thank you for this food, but thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. And some of us might not know even what to say, right? They're like, well, I'm not so, so what I encourage you, this is a song, uh, many of us may be familiar, it's called Worthy as a Lamb. So if you're not sure of even what words to use, right? Like get up, get, I'm not saying use your device, maybe print this out, laminate it, put it on the table, okay? If you need to use your device, it'd be good to take it out of the basket temporarily. But this is a song that really has some wonderful words that if, you, if maybe you're not comfortable with words, and you don't know how to pray. Maybe you're, you're the person who's supposed to pray in the family. And, well, what, what words can I use? So I'm just a suggestion here. And if you look at this verse, thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you paid, bearing all my sin and shame, and love you came and gave amazing grace. Imagine if we started our meals with that prayer. The second verse, thank you for this love, Lord. Thank you for the nail-pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace. Worthy is the lamb. Imagine if that was the prayer for Tuesday. And then we said, you know, thank you for the food. There's a different orientation to the meal. There's a different orientation to the rest of the day. There's a different perspective that we get. That if we look back at this Acts 2 church, it wasn't just about enjoying food together. It was about reflecting on this Jesus and the stories that the apostles were telling them about him. And how he died for us. So, if there's someone here today who, when you look at these lyrics... The nail-pierced hands really don't make any sense to you. This idea of being washed is very foreign to you. 
my hope and prayer today is that you will read about Jesus and read about his life and what he did and this forgiveness that he offers you and that you would embrace that and that you would see him as the lamb who died in your place. So how else can we remember Jesus as we have these experiences together? How else are we to break bread together? We, I mentioned with regularity and remembering. There's one other way that I want to encourage. It's a, it's a way maybe we haven't thought about yet. Um, and it's a little more uncommon. So this is a picture actually of a Polish family. And in Polish culture and heritage, some families prepare an extra chair at the, and even a plate at the Christmas Eve dinner table. Those of you who have Polish heritage. And that really should be for an unexpected visitor. If someone came and turned up the door, hosts should be ready to feed a guest and give them shelter as well. For us, what I want to encourage us to do is start the idea of thinking of leaving an open chair at your table. But the purpose wouldn't be for the Polish tradition, but it would really be based upon a verse from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Why? Why? Not wanting anyone to perish, why? But everyone to come to repentance. So the empty chair that we want to leave, okay, at our table is for people who haven't yet experienced the love of Christ, haven't experienced the forgiveness of Christ. And it's a way that we can keep, become mindful of them, okay? And you can even do it if you go out to eat, okay? You can go to McDonald's and you can get an extra tray and put it right there if you need to, okay? There's different ways you can do this. If you're going out to a restaurant, I wouldn't recommend this on a Valentine's Day for the parents who are going to go on that, okay? But if you go out as a family, typically you were, were what, party of four, right? Say to the waitress, party of five. Say to the hostess, party of five. And what, who, are you waiting for someone? It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> but even if you go out to a restaurant, don't lose this concept of remembering that Jesus is here and also that there's other people that we wish were here with us and could experience these meals with us because of the fellowship that Brian talked about last week that we have. So this empty chair, what, what is it, another way? Why doesn't it happen? Why would this be an awkward thing for us? Well, for me, my home is my sanctuary sometimes. And I don't want to give up my safe place to be invaded by unsafe people. I'm more interested in being comfortable than I am doing things that are beneficial for others. So let's let these empty chairs at our table be a reminder not only to pray for people, but to begin to learn some of the things we're learning in our Tangible Kingdom training about ways we can invite people into our homes for a meal, or even for a party, like Hugh Halter says. In a world where we're growing more divided, as Chick prayed about, more isolated, one of the tangible, compelling, and attractive distinctnesses we can have as followers of Jesus is to have authentic relationships, a loving community, and where's the best place for us to see that? Oftentimes over a meal. So let us be those people in our culture today who actually make a difference by talking to people face-to-face at least once in a while. Let's share more meals. Let's become more otherworldly experiences in our fractured, depersonalized, and hyper-individualized world that we live in. So to help us do this today, um, we actually have, so today, hopefully, if you were an auditory learner, right, there was a lot of verbiage that was coming your way. If you're a more visual learner, you've just walked through about 50-some slides, some pictures to kind of engage you. A few of you are tactile people. You like to hold on to something. So what we're going to do is as we take communion, um, uh, one of our members was kind enough to produce some crosses for us. And so I'm going to ask that you actually take, when we hand out the bread, uh, actually we're going to hand out two of these crosses. And the crosses are designed to be used in two ways. 
One of them is I would encourage you to put it at your dinner table, somewhere between salt and pepper shaker, next to the napkins, somewhere where it doesn't get obscured, but at the same time, and that way it's going to be a prompt for you when you sit down, first of all, to sit down together, if you see it and you hadn't sat down together that day, or if you are sitting down together, to how to start that meal with the right orientation towards our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the second cross is really for the person in the empty chair. God is going to bring people into our lives where we work, live, and pray, who are going to have an opportunity to receive a cross. Um, and maybe that's not your style. That's okay. But maybe you hold on to it, and, and you, God will prompt you in some other way to use it to connect with somebody, to either remember them, to pray for them. One cross for the dinner table and another cross that goes to another or to be thought of for another. So I just want to end our message here, at least this section, with a couple other icons and and see what they bring to us. How about this one? Red, white, and blue wave? Bullseye? Swoosh? The ears? Pause there. Sorry, too fast. Pause. Go to the next one. Go ahead. How about this guy? Yeah. And then when you see this logo going forward, right? The bread and the wine, or the bread and the grape juice that we're going to experience here together in just a few minutes. It should be a reminder to us as we sit down and experience meals together of what he 